this evening. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, walking like an Ephesian at the beginning uh, or last week as uh, kind of the uh, an introduction. I'll just kind of quickly go through some of that again. But uh, chapter 5 is a continuation on how to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, we said we've been called to be holy and without blame before him in love, uh, children by Jesus Christ to himself, fellow citizens with the saints, uh, members of the household of God, a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, we're called to be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise uh, in Christ. And uh, what sort of walk uh, is worthy of such a calling? Well, so far we've seen that it's one that we're walking together in unity. Uh, that's what we saw in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And then we saw walking in truth and holiness in chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And we uh, talked a little bit about the, uh, what walking has to do. It, it means we're moving from one place to another, and as we're walking in Christ, we need to be moving ahead with him as well. Uh, it develops early in life, and it's, it's interesting, and it's fun to watch our little ones uh, learn to walk. And uh, we said Paul uh, uses the word walk six times, and that's what we kind of talked about. Let me just kind of qu quickly go through those again, how to walk like an Ephesian. Uh, there was the working walk, chapter 2 and verse 10 uh, uh, talks about the working walk and how that uh, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and uh, we're to uh, be walking in him. Uh, in chapter 2 verse 10 we're ordained that we should walk in them. Those good works that he's given uh, saved us to. Um, and uh, uh, we are his workmanship. So uh, it is a working walk. And then we talked about the worthy walk in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, the word worthy comes from a word that means to balance the scales. And so Paul is saying here, let your walk balance with your talk. Uh, so many times uh, believers claim to uh, believe one thing and yet they live another. So we need to be worthy of that calling. Then there was the wholehearted walk. Chapter 4, verse 17 uh, uh, talks about uh, uh, not walking as the Gentiles walk. Uh, believers ought to be different than those around us, those who are unsaved. Uh, and uh, Paul was uh, concerned with the uh, Ephesians and the way they walked in the wicked uh, city that they lived in. And uh, we ought to be uh, concerned about the way we walk, and it ought to be a wholehearted walk given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it was a wonderful walk. Uh, in chapter 5 and verse 2, uh, walk in love. Paul tells the Ephesians that their lives ought to be characterized by love. Not the world's definition of love, but uh, God's love, and love was to be the defining trait of a disciple. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And we uh, mentioned there, there was a love for the Savior, uh, there was a love for the saint, and a love for the sinner. 
those are the uh, things that we talked about last week. And then there was a witnessing walk in chapter 5 and verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but are now ye... Uh, now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. And there's a contrast here. We were in darkness, now we are light, and we ought to walk as children of the light. And then the sixth walk is the wise walk, chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly means accurately, exactly, diligently. And we are to walk with our eyes open. And so, uh, how is your walk? I hope that uh, you see ways in which you can uh, be a, a better uh, in your walk with the Lord. And so, as we come to the fifth chapter, uh, we learn that our walk or our conduct in Christ is worthy of our calling, which is one of walking in love walking as light, and walk as wise. Those are the three things we're going to look at tonight as we continue on uh, here in chapter 5. And uh, it's important as we see in chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. As God is love, light, and wisdom, we are to imitate the Father. So let's look first of all at walking in love or walk in love. And that uh, is where we'll begin tonight as we look in more detail here at chapter 5. And we find here that Christ is our example. Christ our example. Verse 1 says, Be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a, sa a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Again, uh, if you go back to chapter, uh, verse 1 there, it says, Be ye therefore. That's an important word in the Bible, therefore. It's quite uh, often used, and it connects this section with the preceding a section where the walk of the believer is under consideration, and it continues the exhortations for Christian conduct. Remember we said that there are some negatives in the Christian life. Uh, people don't like the negative part. Uh, most of us don't like to be uh, negative, uh, but uh, uh, some people don't think we should ever be negative. Well, uh, you can look at the last four verses of chapter 4, uh, in a positive way as well, when it says, don't lie, that's a negative, right? Uh, don't lie, but you could say, always tell the truth. That's more positive, right? If you want to be positive, then say, always tell the truth. Uh, don't sin in anger. In other words, be angry only in a righteous way. Be angry and sin not. There is a, an anger that is not sin if you're angry at what God's angry at. All right? Uh, and then don't steal. Uh, you could say that in a positive way. Uh, you could say, uh, be industrious, work with your hands. That's a positive way of putting it. Uh, don't speak corruption. In other words, be edifying in your words. Build people up in your words. Don't tear people down. Don't be a critic uh, all the time. And uh, I know sometimes criticism is healthy because it helps us to correct things that may be uh, needing of correction, but uh, don't always be so critical uh, that you're tearing people down. We need to build one another up. And then don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, be ye kind, as it says there in verse 32, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That's very positive. Even as God is, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, all these areas of conduct have a definite bearing upon a local church, which will be presented to Christ without spot and blemish. Now, we are declared righteous entirely by the work of Christ, but it is just that which is, uh, but it is just that which is and should be a compelling reason uh, for a chaste conduct here and now. Again, verse 1 and 2, uh, here we find that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, indwells every believer and seals every believer. When we get saved, we have the indwelling Spirit of God. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If we engage in those things mentioned there in chapter 4, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, if we engage in those things, that means we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. But it does not mean that we're no longer children of God. We don't lose our salvation over that. It does mean that the unsaved world won't believe that we are children of God if that's what we're acting like and that's what comes out of our lives. If we're bitter, we're uh, wrathful and anger, anger, uh, angry and we're clamoring and evil speaking, if that's the way we live, and that's well, people aren't going to listen to us when we give them a gospel. They say, what, what do you have that I, uh, I, you're just like everybody else. And the unsaved world won't believe us and won't believe that we're children of God. We are, however, sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption, the Bible tells us. The day when the Spirit of God will present the church to the Lord Jesus. This goal should motivate us to live and conduct ourselves for the Lord. Now, we've seen that a believer is to be an imitator of God, especially in the matter of forgiveness. And yet this applies in all aspects of Christian walk. The Gentiles who formerly walked on a very low plane are now lifted up to a high level of love. Uh, they are now called dear children. You notice that? Be, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Uh, that's the term uh, that is used here, or beloved children. The plane of love to which they are lifted is the love which Christ exhibited when he loved us enough to give himself as an offering and a sacrifice for us. Now, note here that these words, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling savor, they're very clear-cut reference to the cross. It makes the death of Christ, the cross, of Christ more than just a public execution of a criminal. Of course, uh, Christ, there was no sin in him. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was not a criminal, but he was treated like a criminal. And uh, this puts a whole different light upon the cross of Calvary and when Christ died on that. The cross was the brazen altar where the Lamb of God was offered as a burnt sacrifice. Uh, now, they didn't set him to fire, but it was, it, it was that which symbolized what was taking place in the Old Testament. The sacrifice would take away the sin of the world. 
Uh, it identifies Christ with every sacrifice that offered, was offered in the Old Testament uh, by God's command. They all point to him. And so it's, it, it is in view of the substitutionary, vicarious death of Christ upon the cross that the believer is to attain to such an exalted plane uh, of love. The believer cannot walk with a grieved Holy Spirit. For only the Spirit can bring forth fruit in his life. What is the fruit? Well, Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And uh, love is the very first one on that list of fruit. So Jesus certainly has loved us. He's given himself for us. He offered himself to God as an offering and a sacrifice in our behalf. And so he's our example to teach us how to walk in love. We're to walk that way as well. So Christ, our example. Secondly, love that is pure. Look at verses 3 through 7. It says in verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, but for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now the sins described here are those that are prevalent among unbelievers. There are common sins in the world today. All of them have to do with very low forms of immorality. Paul is saying the child of God cannot habitually engage in these things. Even a slight indulgence brings about a revulsion and an agony of the soul. Listen, if you can get into sin and not be troubled or bothered by it, you better check to see whether you're a child of God. There is no other alternative. But if there's conviction in your heart, you can rise and go to your father just like the prodigal son did. You are a child. You are a son of the father. And only sons want to go to the father's house. You know, I've never heard of a pig that wanted to go there. Uh, The pig wants to wallow in the pig pen. Now, I know some of you have had pet pigs before. My wife had a pet pig when she was a girl. I think she caught it at the county fair. And it kind of made its home on the front porch. And... and, uh, the screen door would kind of scrape across its back as it would open the door to go outside. You know, it's just laying there. But normally pigs don't want to go to the house. And uh, the sins listed here are such low sins that characterize an ungodly person. Now, when you as a believer go to God to confess your sins, you don't just package them up and hand the package to God. I'm not so sure about this praying in a broad, general term. You know, Lord, forgive us of all of our sins. Uh, I think uh, I don't find that really being encouraged uh, in the Bible. 
And I don't believe I can pray a general prayer for all of us. I can't say tonight and pray, Lord, forgive all of us here tonight of our sins. You're responsible for your sin. I'm responsible for my sin. You and I personally need to spell out those sins. If we confess our sins, that is, identify those sins before, for, before God, he is faithful and just to for, for, forgive us our sins. And I don't believe that that is done in public prayer either. I don't think we should all uh, individually get up and pray and say, Lord, I did, I did this and I did that. No, that's not anyone else's business but yours and God's. I will say, though, that public sin needs to be confessed publicly and private sin privately. Now, if there is sin in your life, for instance, if you have a biting tongue and you're a gossip who hurts people, tell the Lord that is your sin. If you recognize that and you, God convicts you of that and you say, Lord, I know that that's a sin, go to God in confession and name that specific sin. And it will restore fellowship between you and God. That's what 1 John chapter 1 is all about, restoring our fellowship with him. Because sin is that which breaks our fellowship with him. Now, it does not cause us to lose our salvation, but it does break the fellowship that we have with God. And these are sins that believers drop into sometimes. We can't say that the, uh, a believer never does these sins. But when they do, they are to confess them to God. And the great need of all believers is to go to God and tell him what is really on your heart. Someone might say, well, it's just unbelievable that Christians would even commit the sins that are listed here. You know, I'm afraid that many Christians have, and perhaps they think they've committed an unpardonable sin, but they haven't. There is a way back to God. I will look at these sins just a, a little bit here. Uh, some of these sins, you just notice them here. It says, beginning in verse 3, uh, fornication. Fornication is accepted by the world as a norm of conduct, conduct anymore. It's a sin that is looked upon as not being that bad. And when gross immorality of the hour started creeping in, it was called a new morality. I remember shortly after I graduated from Emporia State University in, in Emporia, Kansas, they built some new dormitories there. They were co-ed dormitories. And we thought, oh, that's terrible. And it, it was. The guys and the gals didn't need to live in the same dormitory. But now many young people think, well, nothing of having a roommate. <laughs> they just say, well, that's normal. That's the way life is. I need a roommate. I can't determine, well, here's a girl. I'll get a girl roommate. Or here's a guy for a girl. It's just a matter of convenience. It's a matter of, uh, uh, that's the way it is. That's not the way it ought to be. That's only one small example of the direction of our society today. Fornication is sin. 
Secondly, there's all uncleanness, it says here. Now, that includes all forms of immorality. And I won't go into detail on that, but all uncleanness, all forms of immorality, uh, covetousness. Now, this is grasping desire. Uh, it's not just for money. It's not just for material wealth. It may be a desire to be mentally superior than someone else. It could be coveting a home or a position. Some people love to be president or chairman of something. Of course, it also includes a covetousness for money. It's been said that the miser uh, thinks dollars are flat so he can stack them. And the prodigal thinks they are round so he can roll them. Whether one stacks them or uh, spends them, covetousness means gaining everything for your own selfish ends. Some people try to garner together all the honors of this world. They have trophy rooms where they put all their trophies. Well, I had a trophy once. It was having. It was for the. Uh, I was in a golf tournament. I won a trophy. It was for the most strokes. I don't still have that trophy. I didn't keep that. It was a funny-looking golfer, you know, all, you know. And, uh, but some people have won all the honors that this world can give them. Uh, there are those who are never guilty of trying to get rich, but they uh, are surely after position. Covetousness is a rotten sin that is in our old natures. Now, so far, this list would say, well, what, what does it say there in verse 3? Let it not be once named among you as become a saints. This means that they are not to be spoken of with approval or desire. Obviously, we're not naming them with approval or desire. But the list goes on then to filthiness. It speaks of the utmost in depravity. Uh, these are the low-down, dirty things one hears today. It's, it includes filthy mind, filthy actions, filthy living. People live filthy because of the filthiness of the sin of their lives. We certainly don't need to be obsessive or compulsive, but as Christians we should be clean. We should present a good testimony personally. When we're out in public or in our own homes, we should have a good testimony of the way uh, we live. I'm be careful here. I'm stop preaching and start meddling at this point. But notice number five is foolish talking. This means to gloat or to brag with about sinning. You ever heard men or even women boast about how much they drank at a party? You ever heard them boast of their conquests in the realm of sex? That's foolish talking. Uh, there's jesting. Now, this, is, uh, this does not mean good, clean humor, but making light of sensuality and immorality. It means telling dirty jokes. But notice the contrast then. You have these sins, but notice a contrast. It says, but rather giving of thanks. That's to be the context of a Christian conversation. Now, I think most 
you, most of you know how I enjoy playing golf. I do, even though I got a trophy for the most strokes, I've, since then, I don't think I've ever won that trophy again. But, and I'm not that good. I'm not making my living with it, okay? But I heard about a saved man and an unsaved man who were playing golf one day. The unsaved man would make a few bad shots and then he'd lose his temper. Uh, he'd ask uh, God to damn the course. Of course, okay. And then the sand traps and the golf clubs and anything else he could think of. And the saved man would always say, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. The unbeliever would say, why do you say that? And the Christian would ask, well, why do you take God's name in vain? The reply was, well, it's a habit. Christian then answered, well, this is a habit with me. I praise the Lord all the time. It's a habit with me. Every time I hear a man ask God to damn something, I praise and thank God for something. I sort of want to balance it out. You see, it's good for us as Christians to make a good a habit of giving thanks. Even when someone is doing something wrong. And sometimes we work with people or we're, we're doing something and somebody says something that just is, is against God. They take God's name in vain. Well, this man says, praise the Lord. God bless the Lord. I'm so thankful for what the Lord has done for me. Maybe we don't say it out loud, but maybe we should uh, say it out loud. But uh, uh, we should at least think it. Thank God for the God who he, he is, that he loved me and he, he saved me. And then pray for that soul of that person who perhaps is taking the, the name of God in vain. Verse 5 says, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul's not saying that if a person participates in this kind of sin that he's going to, he or she's going to lose his salvation, their salvation, but he is saying they're going to lose their reward. Even believers, as believers, we're all going to stand before the Lord at one time and give an account of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Colossians chapter 3 gives a great commentary on that passage as well. It's, it's interesting uh, to... Note that this is the only place in the Bible where the kingdom is at the same place called of Christ and of God. It simply refers to the day when Christ returns and establishes kingdom. Then verse 6 and 7 goes on to say, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Basically what Paul is saying is here is that God pours out his wrath on unbelievers who live their lives in such a way, and then these things will certainly not be a part of our lives as Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32 uh, says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so if you can sin and get by with it, again, 
Maybe you need to examine whether you're a child of God or not. You know why? It's because God would have to condemn you with the world, which would mean that you are not saved. If you are a child of God, and you do these things, God is going to chasten you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to take you to the woodshed, so to speak. And if God doesn't chasten you, then you might be in a frightful condition. So that's what's involved in walking in love. You say, well, that doesn't sound very loving, but that's what God's word says. Walk as in love as Christ also hath loved us. Secondly, we're to walk as light. Now, uh, first of all, we're the light in the Lord. We're light in the Lord. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You see, before coming to Christ, we were once darkness. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But now we are light in the Lord and will uh, should walk as children of light. Paul reminds these believers of their former state prior to their conversion. They were not just in darkness, they were darkness. And we speak of the unregenerate as being in darkness, but it's worse than that. Perhaps you have to work again with someone very closely that is unsaved. I can remember a few ungodly men I've had to spend day after day with at, at work. They would talk of filthy, terrible things. They would cuss and they would profane God's name with almost everything they did. They were just wicked people. And working with such people, you realize they're not just in darkness, they are darkness. Now verse 9 goes on to say, for, and it's a parenthesis here, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. By bearing fruit... This kind of fruit, we will fulfill the role as light by proving or demonstrating, putting to the test what is well-pleasing to the Lord. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Someone might ask, what does it mean to walk in the light of God? Well, here we have a description of it from the Word of God. Walk in kindness, walk in goodness, in righteousness, and in truth, which is sincerity and genuineness. And this is to be our walk seven days a week, not just on Sunday. It means 24 hours of those seven days and 60 minutes of every hour. We are light in the Lord. Secondly, as light, we must expose darkness. We must expose darkness. Verse 11 through 14 gives us this here. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We're not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That is the list that we had there, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, and so forth. Instead, our task is to expose those things. 
things that we must expose are often so disgraceful and so shameful to even talk about them. Now, I don't believe this go- means that we go around and say, uh, he's, he's doing something bad and she's doing something, you know, in that sense. But by walking in the light ourselves, because we are light, it's going to expose them. We can be an example and a word and expose them by the contrast of those who walk in darkness. Uh, we are to reprove or convict the works of darkness by our lives. doesn't mean that we become reformers, but it does mean that by the light of our life, we will rebuke, be a rebuke to the works of darkness. Light reveals what darkness conceals. You ever lose something and you go look for it and the light's not on? It's in here somewhere. Turn on the light and the darkness is gone and it reveals what you lost. Darkness is not driven away by preaching at it. Darkness is dissipated by the presence of light. I remember some of those wicked co-workers I had. And when they found out I was a Christian or a preacher, many times their wickedness would be checked. Oh, I'm sorry I said that. You're a preacher, you know. Or you're a Christian. I wasn't always a preacher. But I've been a Christian more than 60, or not 60 years, uh, 50 years. About 50 about 57 years, 58 years. And so I've, I've uh, been a Christian. And by the way, I've been a growing Christian. Haven't always done what's right. But we need to be light. Something that comes only from Christ. Christ gives light to those who are spiritually asleep and dead. So to walk as light, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility, and some have allowed darkness to overshadow the light rather than the light exposing the darkness. And how can we be sure to carry out our role as children of light? This is where wisdom comes in. And so Paul then exhorts us to walk as wise. Walk as wise. Now notice, as we go on to verse 15 here, the character. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We do so with great care. The word circumspectly, we've already mentioned, means exactly, accurately, diligently, placing your feet with extreme care. We're to walk the Christian life with a meticulous care and engineer our spiritual priorities so that we do not walk as fools. Fools who care very little about where they're going and what's happening. We're to walk very carefully. Now verse 16 says here that we're to redeem the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're to take advantage of the time available to us. To redeem the time is to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make our time our own. 
Now this is necessary because the days that we live in are evil. There are toils, there are annoyances, there are perils. Time full of peril to the Christian faith and steadfastness. There's a cause causing pain and trouble. But we're to redeem the time. And then verse 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Only by understanding the will of the Lord can we be wise people. And Israel was to demonstrate their wisdom by doing the will of God, so we are to walk as wise only if we understand his will. Now, that's the character. But notice the requirement. While those who walk as fools delight in being filled with wine, those who walk as wise are to endeavor to be filled with the Spirit. That's verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What evidence is there that one is filled with the Spirit? Well, that's where we see verses 19 through 21. Paul describes three indications here. He says, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for the all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Three things there. Singing praises, giving thanks, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So let me just kind of summarize this as we wrap it up tonight. Four things to summarize this. First of all, children of God who delight in singing praises, making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things to God, submitting one to another in the fear of God. That is demonstrating that they're filled with the Spirit and as such truly followers of God as dear children. You see how it comes back to the very first verse there. And as dear children of God and filled with the Spirit, we're able to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That is, walk in love, walk as light, walk as wise. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in a world that has perverted the meaning of the word love. You talk about love to most people today, they think about lust. And that takes perverse pleasure in works of darkness. That stumbles around aimlessly like a drunken fool. Can we not see the need for the people of God today to live up to their calling and to prove what is acceptable in the Lord? And the fourth thing is, may God fill his children with his spirit so that we're able to walk in love, walk as light, walk as wise, and thereby show to the world the fruit of the Spirit, that is, love, joy, peace, goodness, and so forth, or the goodness, as he, he talks about here, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Walking in Christ. I trust uh, we're reminded tonight how important it is to walk in love as light and as wise. Let's pray. Our Father,